Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey, everybody. Froth here. Thought Eater Podcast. Thought Eater Blog. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening. Uh, I was out of town for a week, and uh, now I'm back in the thick of it. So it is Sunday morning. That means uh, if I'm podcasting on a Sunday, I've got to run my game last night. I am uh, running the Night Below 2nd Edition box set, uh, AD&D box set, with my grab bag mashup of 1st Edition AD&D, BX, whatever else. Um, If you've been following along with this show, uh, I'll say I really enjoy doing this show because uh, when I first started it, when I was starting the podcast, I didn't have a clear idea on what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of the uh, OSR anchorites, the legendary OSR anchorites um, that podcast here on Anchor, um, are really good at coming up with just random topics and, and talking about them. And for me, I can talk about anything, but uh, a little structure helps me to create, I guess I would say. So I thought about just doing, you know, recaps and, uh, what's turned out happening is that doing recaps of my game, it brings up all these different elements of, uh, of GMing and, and, and Dungeons and Dragons and gaming in general. So it's almost like, uh, I don't have to think of, specific topics because they just come to me and uh, that is good for me just the way my brain works so talk a little bit about what happened in my game and things I learned or things that come up what's interesting is you don't realize how many different varied scenarios and situations really come up until you kind of reflect on it sometimes because you're just going with the flow of it but this session was uh, another kind of unique uh, or just, you know, rare, rarefied sort of situation. Uh, if you follow along with what's been going on, the last couple of sessions we've had some character deaths. Uh, two sessions ago, we lost the magic user. And then last session, we had basically a party wipe. Uh, there were four players playing, three of the players' characters died. And the fourth that got away was the brand new character from the player whose character had died the previous session. So we're entering into this session with basically four new characters and an old buddy of mine uh, had contacted me about joining up the group. He used to live in Athens here where I live, Athens, Georgia. Go dogs, And uh, has since moved to Atlanta, uh, some years ago, we used to play together when he, he was up here and he contacted me and he's going through what a lot of people go through where he really wants to play D&D and you set up games and stuff, but as you're getting older, um, you know, sometimes, well, I guess it could happen at any age, but people, games fall apart real easy. People 
move, get new jobs, work situation changes, all that kind of stuff. And some people, you know, honestly are just flaky, you know, so he messaged me kind of frustrated the last three games he'd set up, you know, weren't working out. And he's like, are you running on roll 20 or anything? I was like, yep. Every single week for like 10 years, I've been doing it nine years. I was on this other RPG table before Roll20, but once that went kaput, I switched to Roll20. And so he joined, and that, that was cool, because he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, we played music and stuff together, and uh, he's a good guy. So, at any rate, that's five new characters to bring in to the game that's already been running for a year. So... I thought this would definitely be interesting to talk about because, you know, everybody's probably gone, you know, gone through this. If you're playing old school D and D. You're going to have some character deaths, and but you don't always, you know, so it's, sometimes you're just bringing one player in, or but you're not always having to bring five players in uh, with new characters in a situation where the current party, if you remember, they're deep underground, miles underground in these tunnels you know, miles away from any exit point. So it's not like there's a tavern or something right around the corner there where they're going to be meeting anybody. So this has been turning around in my head over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and what I really tried to do is I, 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 some of the anchorites and I see people talking about like the lazy DM and everything. I'm like beyond a lazy DM. I'm the you know, the, the three toed sloth of DMs. So I didn't try to force anything or plan anything. I wanted to just see what their characters were, see their kind of rough idea over the characters and then kind of go with that. I mean, I knew I was going to have to get involved in some sort of split screen split the party situation just because they weren't going to meet up in the tunnels. So that was another thing I was going to talk about. Um, in some games, it's really natural for the party to be split up and maybe doing other things. And I think of Call of Cthulhu, any number of games where someone might be off doing this, another person goes and does that. And well, with D and D it's really a, you know, cliche, a meme or whatever don't split the party, so the players usually, you know, sleep together at a camp, adventure together. They're always together, except for maybe going to an outhouse or whatever. So there's a different kind of pacing, and uh, it takes a little finesse, I think, to to run a split party. Um, there's kind of a timing to it because no matter how engaged your players are, they're still there to play and you have to be cognizant of that and you don't want to have, you know, spend too long on one thing. You want to be able to, it's an art to it. Not that I'm an artist, but, uh, whatever. I made, I made crude stick drawings last night <laughs> as far as just, you know, being able to bounce back between what's going on. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Hopefully you find it interesting. Um, 
anyway, so the, the new characters. First we have uh, Ariel uh, Cobblepot. And this is the gnome illusionist that they found in the tunnels bound up in the uh, spider webs. So um, the idea for this character is basically she comes from kind of a somewhat wealthy family that does cobblestone streets. Her being an illusionist is kind of a feather in the cap of the family. Uh, sweet, up for adventure, and uh, she's already noted noted at a few places around the Heronshire, like, oh, they could maybe use a cobblestone street here, you know, kind of thinking about the family business. Um, my buddy that just joined the group is playing this uh, selfish dwarven thief named Puck. We also have a human ranger named Terran. He's kind of a classic ranger type, which you might expect. And then uh, the players that were playing Mabeldom and Moshi kind of came up with a, a couple players, uh, player characters that know each other, Father Marcus and Cassandra. And Father Marcus is almost like this kind of well, I won't say swindler yet, but they're certainly uh, motivated by their own self-interest. But he's like a a, a priest, and uh, she is uh, kind of his assistant. Um, and uh, they're looking to spread the good word, quote-unquote, almost like a swindler priest or something. Anyway, it hasn't completely developed. I don't want to say swindler, but they're definitely out to make their own money and that kind of thing. So, but the uh, the new characters are all really cool, and they seem to have you know good ideas, and it's kind of exciting. You know, it's you know as much as it kind of sucks for people to lose their characters, there is that excitement when you're bringing new new characters into the game. So. I kind of, as far as bringing Terran the Ranger in, the, in the night below, the Heronshire area already has several Rangers that uh, kind of keep watch over certain wild areas that are still in the valley. And so based on what he was saying about his character, it made sense for him maybe to be aware of some of the other Rangers in the area. So I just thought, we thought together that, he could be have been contacted by one of the rangers about what's going on in the area and, and just kind of come to help or check it out. Because there's lots of, of, if you haven't listened to this before, Night Below starts with a lot of kidnappings going on in this area called the Heronshire. So it stood to reason that some of the rangers may have contacted Terran for help. So that's how he comes to arrive in the area. Um... Puck the dwarf uh, decided he's probably on the run or unwelcome wherever he, he was before. So he ends up in the little town of Melbourne looking for his next adventure or person to screw over or whatever. And uh, same sort of thing with Father Marcus and Cassandra. They are trying to raise funds to spread the good word, so to speak. So uh, put them also there in uh, Melbourne. So what I did is have uh, Taryn, the new ranger, 
one of the other rangers, Gerald, that lives in uh, Milbourne, asked Taryn to uh, help raise up some more adventurers because they haven't heard from the other group in a couple days, and um, you know the threat is growing and that kind of thing. So that allowed those players, those four, uh, Puck, Taryn, Cass, and Father Marcus, to kind of gather together like a traditional group in the tavern there, uh, charged with um, trying to rendezvous and find out what happened to the other adventuring party in a system if possible. Meanwhile, in the tunnels, we have Ariel running away, Ariel the gnome running away from the slaughter of the spider from last session. I've talked before about how I handle having absent players. Uh, I just kind of, they're like there but not there. I don't try to come up with where they really were or if they split off the party. Maybe if we were at a, if they're at a shop, you could just say, oh yeah, someone, they went shopping at a different place or something. But here, I brought both Xanril and Cyril, who missed the last slaughter session. I brought them in just running away with Ariel. It's like they were there, but not there, you know. So they kind of, took a few minutes to regroup, uh, evaluate their situation, you know, miles into these tunnels, bunch of folk, you know, a bunch of their adventuring party dead. So they decide to just follow this tunnel south, look for an outlet and go back to Milbourne to, uh, regroup. Luckily for them, they didn't encounter anything. On the way out, they still had something like, you know, 15 miles or more until they found an outlet. And it could have very easily been a, uh, you know, meant trouble for them to encounter something uh, only three deep there in the, uh, in the tunnels, but they didn't encounter anything. And so basically, watch out, kitty. My cat wants to podcast with me right now. Um... So just as the other party was probably getting ready to, you know, set off to look for them, I had in the, in the morning the uh, the other player characters that were already in the Underdark area come walking back into town, the worse for wear. And so that is how they end up, you know, meeting together. Uh, kind of uh, the ranger Gerald there in, the, in Melbourne, help kind of facilitate the meeting of them together. They realized that they had common, if not exactly common desires, and their they, they, their motivations lined up enough to work together. So they decided to, uh, to group together. And that took, honestly, with, there was a little help needed at the beginning getting the characters together. Uh, because I brought, all the new characters in at third level, you know, br brought them in a level lower than the uh, the other members of the party. The Assassin's fifth level now, Assassin Cyril's fifth, Xanril Cleric's fourth. I brought the new characters in at third uh, because this thing is goes up to high levels, and it's not like just starting everybody over at first and everything, we'd never finish this adventure. So I know some people disagree with that. Personally, I don't mind 
Uh, if I want to run, you know, descent to the depths of the earth, I'm not going to start people at first level and work for three years or whatever to get them up to, to, to do it. I'll start them with some pre-gens or let them roll up higher level characters. That's why I like the tables in the back of the warning DMG. Check and see if they've got any magic items to start. And a couple of them did have, you know, a few things like a scroll and uh, actually uh, Cassandra, the, the fighter, she uh, she ended up with uh, some magical plate and a magical sword too. So, so anyway, the rundown. Xanderl, the human cleric. Cyril, the human assassin. Puck, the dwarven thief. Ariel, the gnome illusionist. Terran, the human ranger. Cassandra, a human fighter. Father Marcus, the human cleric. So, lots of humans now. Um, but, so they all got together and decided what they wanted to do. And what they decided to do is go to this area called the Great Rock Dale, which is where the mage was seen being taken sessions ago great rock dale is like this rift kind of like uh it's not tall enough to really be a canyon but it's a uh, a, a, a rift in the ground that uh it's the, the walls uh the cliffs are about 100 150 feet and uh, it is one of the areas with uh that still has humanoid activity in the Heron Shark, kind of like the wildest, one of the wildest areas still left. And it's uh, pocked with caves. Um, and it's kind of like their last lead on, you know, where they saw these bugbears taking the, the mage. Um, and, you know, to try to get to the bottom of the kidnappings, that's where they decided to go. So, like I said, the first couple of hours were really... It took a minute to get all the characters up and running because once they were built, I was checking to see if some of them had items. I was looking at what they were and assigning a couple of non-weapon proficiencies to them. Non-weapon proficiencies are kind of like prototype skills almost um, that allow for little kind of specializations and talents like hunting or... Um, appraising like you have the ability to appraise the value of something you have to roll to see if you can do this so they're not these ubiquitous skills that always come up you know you're not rolling perception or something like that uh, they add a little bit of flavor to the character you know you might have carpentry or things like that what i do with those is instead of them selecting them I take a look at what their backstory or, you know, their idea for the character is, uh, you know, their rough idea for the kind of thing their characters are good at or whatever, and, and then just apply a, a few of them to them. So we did that and everything, and then getting everybody together to meet them. You know, that's another thing. I knew you're going to have to get the characters all together. Uh, you're not going to run two concurrent campaigns or at least i would never do that you know split screen for forever so you want it to be sandboxy but at the same time you've got to at some point railroad this group together to meet so uh you know it took a little 
you just got to roll with it. That's why I was talking about not planning because you can't really plan that. You have to just go with the flow and do it on the fly. And so I wanted to allow a little bit of role play, a little bit of getting to know the characters, but at the same time, try to get them together as quickly as is reasonably possible so they can get back into to adventuring. Um, then I think I did an all right job with that. Like I say, not an artist, but I made serviceable stick figures with it. So anyway, we had already played, you know, played for a while by the time they, they made it out to the uh, great Rockdale, and, uh, they had ridden horses out there, parked the horses by that time it was evening. So they decided to camp. They camped kind of on the moor away from the, uh, the forest and the dale. Uh, and, uh, didn't encounter anything overnight. So, so far so good. No random encounters the whole time. Um, those random encounters can really sap your resources and hit points and all that stuff, uh, before you're even where you're trying to go. So, uh, the roles worked out for them there. They were basically at full strength and they woke up the next morning, uh, to examine the Dale. So here... In the Night Below box set, it doesn't give a ton of detail. It doesn't give you any maps or encounters or anything about this Rockdale area. Uh, it just, it's like a, you know, cave systems infested with demi-humans and that kind of thing. So you might see where I'm going with this. I saw the opportunity to interject uh, a classic module here. Uh, and actually make something out of it other than a couple sentences. <clears throat> I'll leave you to guess for yourself which module involves uh, a bunch of caves with demi-humans uh, and having them out in the kind of the not far outside of keep. If you get where I'm going with this. Now that module... <clears throat> It shall remain nameless, just in case I have a player listening to this that does not know what I'm talking about. Um, that module is really for very low-level, you know, entry-level characters. Um, and they are a little bit higher than that. So I've made some significant tweaks to kind of the rosters and motivations and everything of some of the creatures in order to make it fit with the night below. So this is going to be really interesting. They, they start, they kind of, uh, had bought some climbing gear and stuff anticipating this. So they lowered themselves down to like the first ledge, 25 feet below the, the cliff wall and started examining, um, to, uh, explore one of the caves. They, they noticed that the cave had, uh, bent and twisted vegetation, outside the front of it, uh, lots of evidence of foot traffic, that there were uh, weird um, uh, patterns of like a taint in the, uh, in the cave walls of uh, red and black, uh, kind of spidering uh, veins of some unknown whatever into the rock the dwarf examined it and thought it was just some kind of uh you know influence of evil that had worked itself into the very stone of the cave so the party um cautiously enters the cave 
And at first, don't notice or hear anything, but then uh, the dwarf starts tapping around with his 10-foot pole, and that rouses the interest of some undead. So, like, uh, eight zombies and a couple of ghouls come, you know, barreling down the... The ghouls, at least, come barreling down the hallway with the zombies. And um, that was over pretty quick, <laughs> given the two clerics. So one of them turned a couple one way, and the other was able to turn the others the other way. But they know that this place is kind of you know, infested with undead and everything. And by that time, we'd run three hours, and it was time to pause it there for the night in one of the caves... Three hours, y'all, I'm telling you, I don't know how people can run six hours. Like, I could never, I could never do, like, a five or six hours as a player or as a GM at a convention online anywhere. I just, it's too long for me. Um, online, I start to just, like, get a headache from from the headphones and, and just even concentrating on one thing for that long. <laughs> But, like, three hours is, like, the sweet spot for me. I like to run my games for three hours. Uh, eight to 11 is what I do. But respect, if you can run six hours. I, mean, I remember when I was little, my, my fondest memories was we stayed up all night playing. And uh, it was total Monty Hall, you know, gave ourselves all of this crazy treasure. and <laughs> Good memories. Good distinct memory of that night, but. Nowadays, I just like three hours. I think that's the perfect length. Still get a lot of gaming in, but anything past that, I, I just can't do it. So, anyway, it was an interesting session. I'm really excited about these new characters. Um, I'm excited to have my buddy join the group. Now we've got, uh, you know, seven players, which is a good, a good spread for early editions one reason it's good is because if a player or two misses i don't have to worry about anything adjusting encounters or playing someone else's character i'm going to get into i wanted to talk a little bit about that too but i'll get into that in a minute but but having seven's great because a couple could be missing you still got five you've got uh, a good spread of um, classes and, and everything else so uh, really happy about that. I thought I brought him in reasonably well. Um, so I, I left the game, and I hope they did too. I'm excited about next week already. That's the way you want to be. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to get back into it um, already. So it's going to be one of those dragon weeks of work trying to get back to the gaming. But anyway, um, yeah, so. I'm going to hit a pause for a second here. I'm going to do the next bit as a postscript sort of thing on here. So here we go. So I wanted to break this piece off from the main, uh, you know, the main part of the cast just because it, it's kind of like a, an add on that I've been thinking about. Cause when, uh, I was going back through some of my old night below recaps, I make, I, I, I could probably do a whole podcast on this, but I don't know how y'all do your, your GM notes, but for me, I make notes throughout the game, but it, you typically it's, I write down what the weather is based on the generator. I write down, I'm tracking any kind of just major resources a little bit and time. Um, I do track, you know, time and, um, 
I also make note of anything they encountered in treasure and stuff so that I can do their XP and everything later. So there's not a lot of notes on, you know, the role playing or storyline stuff. It's a lot of kind of just mechanics and tracking and tracking resources. So I was going back and listening to some of the older ones uh, to figure out exactly when a couple things happened. And I realized at a couple of points in two different shows that I say stuff that could sound completely contradictory. On one show, I say, I talk about chucking balance in the river, how much I hate it and how I would, you know, rather suffer than adjust an encounter. And in another one, I talk about how I don't mind adjusting encounter based on how many players are there. And I thought about that because I was like, wow, you know, that sounds really contradictory. But what's interesting to me is GMs, I think we all develop our own kind of sense of our own internal logic. And hopefully, some of y'all know what I mean with this. We can talk all we want, all the chit-chat about what a GM is and the GM's role and GM tips and all this and that and the other, but the more you play and run it, everybody ends up with their own sort of ways of doing anything. We can talk generally about it, but at the end of the day, we all have our own kind of ways we like to do things, and it all makes us unique, which is a great thing. Uh, so while on the face of it, the might sound like contradictory positions it isn't really because in one sense i i do disp you know i don't like balance i like the world to feel wild and there could be anything they you know they could face anything that kind of thing however if half the party's gone and not there for the session i do have this sense of fairness or call it what you will pity i don't know but I don't want to, you know, I want it to be fair. I want the party to be at full strength. I don't want, you know, just because a few people miss that to put the whole party at risk of, of dying, you know, through no fault of their own. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes sense to me, but I don't know if it makes sense to other people. As you might say, froth, what's the difference between throwing 100 orcs at a party of five or 100 orcs at a party of three? Uh, it's a good question, but it just makes sense to me. It's something about having the party be at full strength, having them have their full arsenal, having them all be together to experience it as opposed to some players missing. So if I had, you know, four players missing and it's a party of three, I might not throw the full weight of something at, at them because I'm not going to run all the rest of their character, you know, the characters when people aren't there. On the other hand, when we just had one player missing and it was all these bugbears, I decided <clears throat> against my own will, I would say, <laughs> to to run the uh, the assassin this one time. And I hated doing it because, you know, you don't want to kill the character when you're the one playing it. And um, so anyway, I realized there's a friction or kind of a, Listening back, they're kind of a contradiction. And I thought I would add this on to either explain or further muddy the waters for my thinking process on that. So, you know, my tendency is against balance. Uh, just, you know, let the dice fall where they may. However, if there's a significant amount of the group missing, 
then some ballots might creep in just because I feel bad for the players, you know, not being at full strength. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Anyway, I thought I'd add that because I realized someone listening to the show might be like, what in the hell is Fraud talking about? He just said this, now he's saying this. That's one of those DM internal logic things. I was trying to think of other things that are like that. You know, or inconsistencies or whatever. And uh, another thing that popped in my mind is like, sometimes I'm pretty... When it suits the situation and when it's interesting, I could be kind of tight on the, the lighting and everything. But then there are other times that I know that I've just completely hand-waved it, not even thought about it, not even, you know, entered it into it. But it seems to, I don't know, you know, and I wouldn't know how to describe to you when those times are. It's just on a feel thing. It's like when it feels like it could be interesting or add something to the game. I'll either, you know, be more tight about it. Other times when it's not very important, I'm not being a stickler about it because it's not adding any fun or interest to it. And I don't know if that makes sense to other people. I don't think it seems inconsistent to the players. I think it's just how they're maybe used to me running it at this point. And it's not even something I was really aware of doing uh, until I started adding this extra level of uh, self-reflection on there uh, based on uh, kind of the balance stuff. So um, this show doesn't usually get a lot of call-ins or anything, but if you had ideas on stuff that you are either inconsistent on or have that internal GM logic that you think only makes sense to you or any ideas like that, feel free to, to call in with them. So, but anyway, I've rambled enough about this last session. Uh, it was, it's good to be back, uh, back in a regularly scheduled stuff. So next up, we've got a hump day blogorama brewing and, uh, I did follow along with some stuff, not as tight as I usually do. I, I, I did, I was waiting in some lines, so I had some time to look through some blogs and everything, so I'm trying to put something good together for you all on Wednesday, and uh, I hope you enjoy that when I get it done, but uh, in the meantime, I'm working on a couple other things that I will announce when it's stuff is ready, so uh, I'm just going to keep plugging away at this and hope some of y'all are enjoying it. If you would like to contact me, you can message me on the Anchor app. You know, if you've thought, if you're a blogger or whatever, you've thought about uh, podcasting, check out the Anchor app. There's a lot of OSR anchorites, legendary anchorites, uh, support each other and can certainly give you tips, help you get up and running. It's a lot of fun to do. So check out the, the Anchor app. You can message me directly through it here. You can email me, frothsoft, froth, S-O-F, at Gmail, uh, Frostsoft on Twitter, frostsoftdnd.blogspot.com, com, com, com.